Fast, efficient, and affordable business-grade hosting solutions, domain registration, SSL certificates, and more. We also monitor and provide website security and update services, website builds, email hosting, amongst other sensational products. If you have a question about your web page or your presence on the internet in general, no job is too big or too small. Visit our website today, or better yet, contact us at blueoceanwebhosting.com.au and leave your website issues to us. Big ones, little ones, fiddly ones, powerful ones. The ones for the car or the truck, caravan, boat, mobility scooter, solar system. In fact, for any kind of battery, go straight to Battery Central Ipswich. They'll even help you when you know what you need to power but have no idea what'll do the job. Battery Central Ipswich, 280 Brisbane Street, West Ipswich, in the Yellow Building. Expert advice, better batteries, best prices every day. That's Battery Central Ipswich. So it's 774 of the Aussie Techheads. I'm Jason Oakley and this is Will Topkinson. Hey, Will. Good evening, sir. How's things in your neck of the woods? Um, well, it's the end of the financial year, so there's no stress at all there at all. Um, and Bob's sick as a dog, so that's that's great. Oh, jeez, that's no good. And um, we're about to have four days of, of huge amounts of rain, so fine. Oh, we, well, we're getting eight, so there. <laughs> In fact, they, they had an announcement on um, Facebook for our SES today saying, if anybody wants them, we've got a ton of uh, sandbags ready for people to pick up because they might get flooded over the next week. Like, there's a good idea, Dad. Mum decided that she was coming home from the nursing home Saturday to stay overnight at her normal house or go back Sunday. I'm like, Saturday's going to start pouring <laughs> you might end up falling over on the slippery slippery grass and driveway. No, no, I'm 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 able to stay awake and move around. I said I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about the slipperiness because of all the rain. Oh, that's not going to stop me. Like good luck then. Sure mountain goat. If you uh, fall if you fall over like you did before, I can't help pick you up anymore. I got hernias and the doctor said no more lifting anything, so you have to get the ambulance while you lie there in the rain. You do classify as anything, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, what can you do? Nothing. Yeah, no, it's just seasonal. Like, it's still hot, so it's perfect time to get sick because, you know, why would you want to do anything else? Damn. Okay, that and it's uh, mostly just the weather, I think, because it's, it's been, we've had minus one, minus two degree mornings. Yikes. And we've had. 27, 28, 29 degree days. So. <laughs> Can't you keep it a bit of a smaller range than that? Ours is know. like 6 or 7 in the mornings up to 16 or 17. Yeah, it's... um, The range is the problem, mate. Like, I can hop in my car here and it says uh, 1 or 2 degrees. And by the time I'm getting to work, it can be 17 already. And it's like... <laughs> 
I'm Are supposed you, to do it. You don't live in Melbourne. Hang on. Oh, it feels like it. Actually, <laughs> I don't know. I didn't have this problem in Melbourne. Didn't you? No, not 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 like this. I know, mate. Like you, point. you get four seasons in one day, but you know, you might in the middle of summer, you might get you know a cold morning and a hot day and rain and stuff. But the thing is, that it was when when you say a cold morning, it was fifteen degrees, and when you say hot day, it was twenty eight. So yeah. <laughs> the swing wasn't that great. <laughs> I remember when my daughter was going to school down there, and she'd get in shorts and a t-shirt and ride a bike to school and then coming home she'd be pelted with freezing cold hail temperature just dropped like 10 15 degrees and here comes the hail and she said it's hard to ride your bike home when your hands are getting hit with hail they're cold and numb and you can't tell if you're actually still holding on the handlebars that's right yeah fortunately it was only like a five minute ride maximum straight up the road and in the house and had uh, everybody down there's got central heating, so they didn't have any problems there. That's actually if you're renting. That's one thing in Victoria, which is different than up here. Um, up here, they only have to have fans. That's yeah. in terms of the property. That's only requirement. In Victoria, they have to have heating yep. installed. They don't have, to have cooling, but they have to have heating. Oh, they had so, both. So it was pretty good. Yeah, most of them do, but they have to at very least have to have heating down there. Yeah, which was weird because I was used to you know. They don't really have fans. They just usually have like reverse cycle aircon in every room. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, um, the bar heaters around the house and then there's a swampy on the roof, you know. So it's kind of a bit weird down there. But I remember getting up when I was doing TAFE in the middle of winter. I'd get up at 5 o'clock in the morning to head out for TAFE and I was wearing 14 layers of clothes because I had to ride. It was 10. It was basically 10 k's from where i was living no it was 10 yep. k's to the post office another and i was another tafe was another 5 k so it was 15 k's yep. from where i was living to tafe and yeah i'd get up put on 15 layers of clothes ride and then basically every intersection i'd come to i'd stop take a layer off and chuck in my backpack <laughs> <laughs> so you end up with a I... big heavy backpack pulling it backwards <laughs> yeah pretty much that's, that's all i wore for it was a big hiking pack <laughs> I only walked so I could put all the clothes in it while I was riding, and then basically I'd get into TAFE and I was back in shorts and shirt again. <laughs> yeah, here, this this place I bought in New South Wales on the coast, and um, the main bedroom that I'm in, no fans, no air conditioners, no nothing. The next room ceiling fan, the next room ceiling fan. So I ended up, I had portable air conditioners for a while, but they're expensive and noisy. So I ended up getting the wall-mounted reverse cycle. And now you can just say, put it on 22 degrees all day and night, and it works out fine. Yeah, I mean, that's the most efficient way of using the sleeve when it's at temperature. Well, it was even better when I had two batteries for my solar. Now I've only got one. Thank you, LG. And there's a shortage on them too, so good luck with that for a while. Yeah, I'll be stuck with the little... Go, Tesla, you're holding in there, making up for the LG. So, we got the... um, We got the... I think it's be 7 kilowatt at the other end of the house in the lounge room. Yep. In summer, it hardly keeps the lounge room and kitchen cool. It won't cool the rest of the house. Yep. In winter... It heats the entire house with no trouble at all. Like it's turned on like fairly low and it's yep. just everything. Like it's amazing the difference. Fantastic. And we turn it off at, I usually turn it off at like 7.30, 8 o'clock at night. 
and the house stays warm. And I get up at, you know, when I get up to go to the toilet at, you know, five o'clock in the morning, I'll just flick it on. So by the time you get up, it's nice and toasty again. Ah, nice. So we don't need to actually run it during the night. So then your solar starts kicking in. Yeah, well, I'm only running it probably three hours each end off solar. So it's not too bad. So especially with the prices, where they're going to go. Yeah, got to be happy with it because they're, they're planned to shoot through the roof. I'm staying with who we are for the first couple of months just to see um, what happens there. Uh, if it goes stupid or whatever, then we might change. But Go back to origin. At the same time. Well, yeah. <laughs> There's not Best of the worst. The only thing origin have, they have a slightly higher solar tariff, but it's also capped at five kilowatts, whereas um, who with now it's slightly lower, but not capped. Yeah. Yeah. So, but the only thing Origin do differently is Sunday, Saturday, and Sunday um, from ten. I think it's from ten till two during the day on Saturday and Sunday. They have their EV right. Yep. Which basically means you get free power for four hours on a Saturday and a Sunday. Oh, okay. That's not good. Um, which the problem is it doesn't, it also doesn't count solar tariff at that period of time. And my solar system would already produce more than the car can take to charge anyway. So uh. <laughs> I would be, I'm actually would be losing money for a couple of hours a day because I'm already not paying for power and I'd be feeding more back in. Yeah. But you don't get so. Kind of, yeah. If it was overnight, you know, like from ten to two during the night or something, I can set the car to charge me in those hours. Yeah, it'd be fine. But it's not. <laughs> so, it's yeah. um, so I don't know. But apparently, there's a lot more um, solar plans for EVs starting. Um, if you've got solar and you've got an EV, apparently they're they work out when you need to charge. So for my case, like I don't need to charge of a night because the cars at work during the day, yep. which I'm currently charging it during the day at work because works on a being commercial premises is on a cheaper tariff. Um, but for it to for it to work here, I'd need to set it from like six p.m. to like midnight. Would have to be, you know, like a, a discount rate, or from yeah, midnight to six either way. Aye. So. There's talk of them. Is that because we got rid of our shitty government and now we got a slightly less shitty government? No, no. The, it's going to happen anyway. The the particular company's been talking about it for a while. They're basically waiting on the government to finish approving. They're approved for... Um, I can't remember. They're approved for certain... Like Apparently the way it works, and they've been explaining it on their website every like literally almost every postcode that you want to service you have to apply for right. so you can't say i want to do brisbane district i want to do ipswich district i want to do Twombly. no you've literally got to go and apply for every postcode because <laughs> wow. it's based on postcodes apparently where you where you can and can't apply for. <laughs> that's crazy. so you've got to basically sit there with a australia post postcode index and go through each and every single one yep. and put them on the application form it's so dumb 
who comes up with these bureaucracy man yes people pay people pay too much to sit in an office and do nothing hey i resemble <laughs> that comment no yeah you don't do nothing you do almost nothing it's yeah. different oh right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. i should guess we should mention that um thanks to us hosting with anchor fm for our podcast um they're a spotify podcast company and you can they've now enabled it so we can put our videos on anchor and it goes on the videos go on to spotify so you can watch this show on spotify if you don't want to watch it on youtube but they also put out the audio for the other podcast platforms so they can listen to audio only which seems weird uh, to mention spotify and video in the same sentence yeah. <laughs> they weren't originally known for that kind of thing were they Good idea, though. I mean, it makes sense to have, you know, because traditionally, you know, you've had to have your video in one place and and even your audio, you've had to split the two or three different places traditionally to get full coverage on all the things, but they're finally starting to um, amalgamate all that. Yeah. I mean, I remember back in the day, we had to host the files on like archive.org and then set up the metadata and send it out to the RSSS feeds and... Don't miss those days. Crazy, man, crazy. <laughs> I'm having a look at our um, stats. I think we had a couple of people listen on that um, Spotify platform. The page I'd be curious to know what, how it changes the video because at the moment, obviously, our videos, you know, we sort of do them because we're recording the audio anyway, so we don't put a huge amount of effort into them, but they are kind of there. Yeah. Um, but not too many people watch them, really. It's only you normally only get twenty or thirty people per episode watching the video, which I get. Being a podcast, it's you know when people are traveling and and, and at niche work podcast or at that. <laughs> Sorry, niche podcast at that. Yeah, and uh, you know, when, but when people are watching it, it's done generally in a situation that I can't watch videos, so I I understand that, which is kind of why I'm a little. Download it on really Spotify sure. before you hop on the train. Yeah, I mean, you could, but most people don't because they're usually listening to a podcast and then they're on Facebook or something, you know, like it's uh, it's kind of weird that Spotify offers that. Like, it, there's not, I'm not complaining that they do, but it's kind of a weird little, Yeah, I, I can't imagine there being, be curious to watch the numbers as more and more people get used to it, obviously, it's something they've only just started doing. So, but I can't see it being... A huge amount and i'll also be curious to know whether the 20 or 30 people that watch the youtube video now that it's on spotify are they gonna is it gonna affect the youtube numbers you know 60 percent of our listeners are in australia yeah only 60 percent. i know there's a lot of expats um united states has got 17 france six percent germany six percent netherlands four percent UK four percent, Apple Podcast it's got forty four percent. Then people listen through a web browser, really, cool. Pocket Casts yeah. and Podcast Edit. I generally do. I, most of the podcasts I listen to, I listen through the browser. Oh. But I guess I've always used something like Pocket Cast. I mean, I do use that, but it's not. Um... Eighty two percent of mail. I guess it's different now too. When I used to be on the road a lot, 
it was obviously done through Pocket Cast or something. But now that I'm when I'm working in the front of the computer, it is I'm in front of the computer, like I'm either at work or at home. But I'm yeah. sitting in front of the computer, so I might as well listen to it online. I guess there's no point having yeah, my phone playing in my ear while I'm sitting in front of the computer. <laughs> so. of our listeners are between 45 and 59. Well, so it's 50% of the the, uh, the hosts, so... Yep. (laughs) And the uh, next biggest popular range, age range, you wouldn't guess, 23 to 27. Wow. We're we're uh, hip. We're We're, we're we're down with the 411. (laughs) We, we we love our sriracha sauce and our. I had and... some tonight and for lunch. Seriously? Yeah, I had bacon and eggs for lunch, which I haven't had in like months, and I pour sriracha sauce all over it. And then uh, dinner time, I had the chicken enchilada, and I put some more on there with some jalapenos. Mm-hmm. The guy yep. at the the local um, kebab shop calls them jalapenos. Jalapenos. <laughs> It's like, what do you what do you want on your kebab? I'm like, oh, cheese, tomato, lettuce, jalapenos. So you write jalapenos, okay? Jalapenos, yeah. <laughs> it, uh, it's it's funny. I it, I don't know why. So I used to have a lot of kebabs. I even used to make them for when I was working down in Melbourne, and I always had tzatziki sauce. Mm-hmm. For some bizarre reason, in the last. 10 years there's been a shift to garlic sauce now well not tzatziki even though it's exactly the same thing but when you ask a kebab shop for tzatziki they look at you like what What? yeah we always have garlic and hot chili i'm like it's it's greek you're you're supposed to be greek you should know what tzatziki (laughs) is greek or turkish turkish yeah you know it's like that that's that's literally garlic sauce it's called tzatziki (laughs) oh i've never heard that before really time you learned something isn't it your yeah, job to know these things? It must be a Queensland thing. It's like when you go to the butcher and ask for Silverside. Yeah. They look at you. They don't know what Silverside is. <laughs> They've got a whole heap of corn meat there. Yeah. Corn beef. But what is that? Which is Silverside. But when you actually call it Silverside, they look at you strange. <laughs> Even though they're exactly the same product. It's, it's, oh, it's got garlic, salt, olive oil, sometimes vinegar or lemon juice. Yogurt and cucumber. Yeah, you can basically make it with, if to make a, a cheats one, it's just um, a bit of garlic salt and yogurt and um, a bit of lemon juice. Basically gets you 90% of the way there. Sounds good. Should give it a go. It's like I used to make a fake um, seafood dressing. I just used to mix tomato sauce and mayonnaise together. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's like 90%. You know the red seafood? Like yeah, thousand yeah, yeah. Um, Not thousand on the other one. It's basically that. It's oh. just not quite as herby as that, but it's like ninety percent the same flavour. It's fifty percent, fifty-fifty mayonnaise and tomato sauce. Yep. And you basically have seafood sauce. That's the job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, should we do some news then? Why not? If nobody's listening yet, it doesn't matter. Yeah, they will fall asleep thinking of. We do have a Linux for those who who like Linux, so you know. Yeah. <laughs> Westpac has unveiled plans to roll out technology to let small businesses accept payments from customers via compatible Android and mobile devices. A new service will turn Android devices into payment terminals and let merchants accept payments by tapping cards or another Android device. 
Westpac's tap-on-phone capability allows small businesses to download a point-of-sale app to begin accepting contactless payments. Businesses with Android 9.0 software and above will be able to receive payments via cards, mobile wallets and wearables through their phone or tablet's NFC reader. Westpac is using AirPay Tap technology from Australian payment technology provider Quest Payment Systems. The initiative is led by cash and transactional banking team manager, Director Mandy Rutherford. Westpac's tap-on-phone will also reduce reliance on traditional merchant hardware, the bank said. It's currently being trialled through selected Westpac small business customers before rolling out in early 2023. Transactions above 200 will still require customers to enter a PIN as an additional security feature. Westpac Chief Executive Consumer and Business Banking Chris De Bruyne said the bank is always looking for ways to make it fast, flexible and secure for businesses to get paid. Westpac's tap-on-phone technology is a game-changer for business owners who need a more lightweight and portable alternative to traditional merchant hardware, enabling their compatible Android phone or tablet to transform into a payment device. He added, mobile is already the number one choice for making payments, with the new solution making it easier and faster to do business. There's exciting potential for uptake here in Australia as businesses seek more convenient and connected payment solutions, he said. Earlier this year, Apple released plans to introduce a similar feature by enabling small businesses to accept payments directly on their phones. Don't take out a bit of a cost for you guys not having to have to rent the pos. I think you rent that, don't you? So we use Square. Yep. Um, and they already do this. They have been doing it for quite a while. Um, but you can, Square has varying levels of what you want to do. So the entry level is literally just using your phone. Um, in which case, you still pay transaction fees, even if you don't have the reader. You can buy a Square Basic Reader for sixty bucks. Um, you basically pay one point six percent, pretty much, on most card transactions. Um, and if you use like ZipPay and Afterpay, you pay like I'm just checking now. I think it's like six or seven percent plus thirty percent per transaction. So, and what about Amex? Uh, huh? They can take Amex. We don't ninety percent charge. <laughs> it's something. Last time we had Amex on an FPOS, I think it was like twelve percent, fourteen percent. Yeah. Um. So we don't we don't take Amex anymore. Nobody but does. um. But yeah, so it costs us like one point. I think it's one point six or one point nine percent to do per FPOS transaction. Uh, and if it's a manual entry, like if anybody is. To put the information in manually, it's um, 2.5%. I wonder if they could use the um, phone's camera to capture a card and use OCR to read the data off there if you can't scan it for some reason. So ING tried that um, a few years ago. They rolled that out for instant checks. Because they don't have physical branches, they're yep. rolling it out so that you could take photos of checks and send I know it to them. You can do it with Uber and stuff when you're signing up. It's like, please enter your card details, take a photo. Okay, here's all your details done. And it's like, that is great. Everybody should do that. The problem with that is it doesn't, you don't have to have the card. You've only got to have a picture of the card. Oh, okay. So it, there's no security to it, which is why they kind of don't do it. It's the same reason why they stopped taking photos of checks. Because but in the US, doesn't... all over the US, the banks do accept photos of checks. Yeah, they don't. They did. They trialed it and they decided not to go ahead with it. Damn. Well, who um, checks these days anyway? 
but yeah, you know, you and after paying ZipPay and Pay PayPal, see PayPal's another one takes a huge amount of fees out. PayPal Me, PayPal Here, or whatever it is, um, you know. So and like when you, you know, when you're paying cash, we can do a little bit of a discount, you know, because there's a couple of percent that we save, so we can give you a small discount. But if you're paying card, no. And if you're paying zip pay and stuff like that, definitely not Double because no. that's a, you know. Yeah. And we don't get that money straight away either. You know, they we don't get that for like. But you don't get the zip pay until the customer's completed all of the payments. No, we get it, but we don't get it. It takes like two weeks to process or something. Oh. It's not. We do get it, but it's not instant. It's not like end of the day. But you have to offer that because everybody does. Yeah, which I don't mind. But, you know, I'm not going to give you a discount when you pay that way. No. (laughs) We're not making any money. I'll I'll go to the guy down the road who charges $600 for a battery and he'll give me 50 bucks off discount. Ha-ha. People people like that. Like, there was a guy in Brisbane selling the same battery I was selling for like 30 bucks less than I was selling it. And one of my customers came to me to get it. And I'm like, well, no, it's already on sale at this price. I'm not making any cheaper. And he was like, oh, I'm going to drive an hour and a half over the side of town to go and get it and save 30 bucks. I'm like, off you go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, knock yourself out. My car doesn't chew petrol, so that's all right. Yeah. No, I'm like, hey, really? You would do that to yourself? I'm like, I'm not, okay, see ya. Good luck, like, buddy. Like, it, it's kind of, an, and I've touched on this before, and it still annoys me, you know, people go to Woolworths and super cheap and and battery world and they don't haggle with price that is pay shelf price they go to a small independent company whether it's us or whether it's a grocer or whether it's a butcher or whatever and how much are you going to give me off yeah that's it the first thing that is asked for a discount i'm like why would i give a random person who's never been here before and probably never be here again a discount yeah (laughs) my trade customers hardly get discounts these days because we can't afford to give discounts because prices keep going and you'll, you know, you'll Joe, nobody will come in once every two to three years, maybe. Yeah, you know, you know, if you want to go up the road and save yourself, you know, 10 bucks for, you know, two hours worth of stress, knock yourself out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Don't let the door hit, well, do let the door hit you on the way out. Yeah, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I don't play games. That's just that simple. Yeah. Um, especially... Especially if you've rung me at 4.30 and asked me to wait behind because you're running late and you're going to be there at like quarter to six and I've agreed and then you get there and then I rung, you know, and then after knowing the price, you still ask me for a discount. <laughs> Do you really think I'm going to give it to you? You've just cost me money waiting here after hours for you. And there has been occasions where I've put the price up on people. Yep. For that exact reason. They've got there, made me wait an hour. Told me they were going to pay in cash. Turns out they're actually paying me on card. Then they asked for a discount, so I add twenty five bucks. <laughs> they don't ask for another discount. No. So. Well, know, I'll go somewhere I, else. Um, everybody's closed. I stayed back yeah, for good you. Luck. Good luck with that. <laughs> and the reason you came to me from the other side of town is because I'm the only person who had what you wanted. <laughs> so. You know, I, I'm all for customer service and being nice and friendly and, and whatever, but there's a there's a point where I just don't play games anymore. It's a two-way door. You know. Is that like a two-way mirror? Yep. <laughs> it's like an invisible water bottle. <laughs> yeah, right. 
stupid green screen. Oh dear. Alrighty. Um, so, I guess speaking of um, technology and smartphones and all these USB things kicking around these days, yep. as we know, most of USB-C now is just like the, the standard. So EU um, obviously is ruled now that all iPhones and well, basically anything that uses USB must have a USB-C port as well as whatever. I mean, they can put whatever proprietary stuff they want on there, but it's got to be able to charge by USB-C as well. Yep. Um, so there's certain non-EU countries um, have decided, like Brazil, for example, have decided that all they're specifically targeting iPhones because they're primarily the ones that don't use it, but basically all communications uh, devices because it was done by their telecommunications regulator Anatel um, basically they're saying that all USB all devices must have a USB-C charger mandatory for anything that basically uh, is on their telecommunications network so um, so yeah so obviously there's a lot of companies doing it now and the their particular um, Brazil's particular reasoning was basically saying that it's going to do two things. One is it's going to make everybody's life easier because you don't need to carry forty-three different configurations to make something work. Um, but the main reason they're doing it is it's going to help reduce e-waste. Yeah. Because you know if everybody's got the same sort of charger and cable and and everything like that, it's um they're not going to throw out when they buy a new phone. They don't either need to buy a new car charger or they're not going to throw out their old one because it's going to work with their new one. Yeah. So that's part of the reason they're doing it as well. Um, Universal all the things, finally. Yeah. You know, and they're basically saying that um, they just want to... Because I think EU's given them a 10-year timeline. All oh, right. I don't know why. It doesn't take that long to integrate a port. But anyway... They've given them like a 10 year timeline, and Brazil's like, well, we'll just, you know, use the same timeline. So, as you're, <laughs> you might as well make it worldwide at this point because you've like 80% of the countries you're selling to have already <laughs> mandated it. So, yeah. just make it, you know, across the whole board. Don't even worry about having your own ports anymore. That's a good idea. Which I don't know why they. Apple, Apple switching right? to USB-C, so they're copying Android again. Come on, Apple. <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay. Didn't they come out the other day and say that they're um, they're blocking other browsers for security reasons? Yes. Yeah. That's a very they're Windows, a very Windows ninety five move. <laughs> <laughs> that went so well for Microsoft, didn't it? Yeah, it worked flawlessly for them. I can only see it going well for Apple too. <laughs> MasterCard has been accredited as an identity exchange under Australia's Trusted Digital Identity Framework. The accreditation was announced by Vice President Digital Identity Matt Bourne on LinkedIn. The second credit provider applied for accreditation for its ID digital identity service in September 2021. Its applications covered it acting as a TDIF accredited exchange identity provider and credential provider. It also announced a plan to collaborate with digital transfer paint, digital transformation agency to use ID for age verification. We're thrilled to share that we have now successfully secured the first of three roles we applied for with our accreditation 
accreditation as an identity exchange being confirmed earlier this month. With ID being built with interoperability in mind, MasterCard's digital identity solution can connect existing identity providers with other organizations in MasterCard's global ID network with verification facilitated by our highly secure network. This is a huge milestone on our digital identity journey in Australia. In late 2019, it emerged that MasterCard had an ID partnership with Australia Post. Other partners include Optus, Deakin University, Samsung and Microsoft. TDF combines policies and standards to underpin the federal government's national federated identity model. Accreditation means MasterCard has met privacy, security, risk management and usability requirements for its identity exchange service. So now your credit card company owns all of your ID stuff. So does that mean there's going to be photos on I'd expect your bank so, account? Yep. I'm very confused. They never, they never had people's photos and other identifying info, but now they're going to own all of your identity. Well, it's got to be a great idea. They're going to have to if they're going to be, because your primary form of identification is photo ID or your birth certificate, which... Anyway, um, <laughs> you can use a piece of paper or you need to have photo ID like passport or your driver's license. So if they're going to be a primary source of ID, it means it has to have a, lot, a photo on it. Yep. Hmm, okay. I can see that being incredibly popular. It is with MasterCard because they can own all your stuff now. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. But that would still have to be bank-specific, wouldn't it? Because it's all fine only for MasterCard to have that, but the banks, the ones collecting the data, so that'd be the ones who'd have to be accredited to handle that data. I guess so. Amalgamation MasterCard doesn't do All MasterCard does is stick your bloody, stick their bloody logo on the front of your card and call it a day. Yep. So... I can't see, you know, St. George or Suncorp or whoever is using MasterCards. Actually, I know Suncorp does and Westpac. They'd have to be the ones who are accredited to handle, make identification stuff, wouldn't they? I think so. No, no. <laughs> All that sounds like one giant can of squiggly little worms that I don't want to know about. Mm -hmm. But it's okay. It's not like businesses have got face tracking in them that are tracking you, you know, every move that you do, like um, no. bunnies and wool. Nothing to worry about. No. It's never happens. Only, only in communist China that sort of thing happens. <laughs> Wait. And, Who owns us? And the good guys of Kmart. And... <laughs> yeah, so if you're planning on shoplifting, don't do it at those places because they do facial recognition. Yeah. And then every time you go and shop there, they then can put a name to that face because you've they've got facial recognition and they've got your card details. And they know what you're buying. And... They know your buying habits and when you purchase online, it would link with what you purchase in store. And, and yeah. you won't be so able just to don't... easily scan that 49-cent item 20 times for all of your items in your self-checkout. I discovered this. I hardly ever go to Coles anymore because I get everything delivered. I went to Coles and I'm like, they got self-service conveyor belt checkouts yeah. now. And yeah. I said to Dad, did you know that? He's like, yeah, they put them in about six months ago. I'm like, 
I, I don't go there. And if I do, I always just go to the little self-checkout where you put in like 10 items in your bags and you take off. I never go to the other sections at all. And I was like, oh, this is pretty cool because I'd actually got a little small trolley full of stuff. So I put it in there and you take it through and you scan it yourself and you bag it yourself and you pay for it yourself. That means it's going to be cheaper. No. Well, Aldi's doing the thing, and I think Costco's doing it too, uh, where it actually scans um, the the trolley's got a card reader in it. Oh, so right. NFC stuff, and so when you put not NFC, um, yeah, NFC. So when you put stuff into the trolley, it scans the product as you put it in, so that it automatically adds it up. Nice. Because when you're going along, you're like, well, how much does all this cost? And then you see at the checkout, right. somebody put a half a kilo of chicken back on the chocolate <laughs> shelf because they couldn't afford it. And I'm like, I'm not going all the way back down there and I've already scanned half the damn thing. So that chicken can just go off and they can throw it out. Yeah. Yeah, you can see a growing tally. Yeah, they had a, um, had a few people trolling out and one of the ladies is like, so she said, I know the, how this system works. I scan stuff, and then when I walk out the door, it automatically just charges that links to my phone, and it automatically just charges me what it's worth. Yeah. But it still feels like I'm stealing. It's <laughs> <laughs> so like I still, still feel like I'm shoplifting, like it doesn't feel right. There must be like the people at those Amazon Go stores in the US. Yeah. Uh, well, they're supposed to be coming here too. And you don't, you don't, I don't think you even put them in a trolley there. You just take it off the shelf and walk out and it scans it and charges you. Yeah, it just scans, it knows what it is. Yeah. Uh, you don't even see staff in those places unless they're actually restocking the shelves, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it all seems, it all seems too hard these days. Just how hard is it to have somebody there, you know, greeting people and serving them, actually giving them customer service? Uh, you know, and then people will complain, whinge, bitch, and complain because people are buying stuff online instead of going into a store. And it's like, well, <laughs> they're not going to go into your store because you don't have anybody there anyway. What's the difference? Yep. Grandma yeah. wants to go into the store so she can have a talk about how the weather is and little Tommy down the road. And yeah, exactly. So they don't get any other I, human contact. You know, I think in all, in all honesty, a lot of the smaller gross, green gross, you know, grocery stores and general stores and fruit shops and butchers and a lot of the smaller independent stores are in some respects having a comeback because all the big stores they don't want um they don't want to treat you as a person they just want you as a number they just want you as one of their one of their profit margins they don't care about you as a person um they're not interested in the slightest whether or not you can find something or whether or not you can you know whatever they don't care they just want your money Yep. Whereas a lot of the, the smaller stores now, people are figuring out that they're not necessarily paying more to go to a smaller store. In some cases, you pay less and you get much better service for it. And the store might be called Payless. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a uh, chemist, wasn't it? Shoot. Or a, shoot. Ooh, that's right. Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it, it, like this whole debacle where you know, lettuce is, you know, $300 a cubic foot or whatever it is. Yep. I don't know lettuce prices. But <laughs> I know that it was stupid expensive. And I went down to my local fruit shop doing my normal shop that I do every week. And um, 
Sorry, I've been watching that the whole time. Every time you put your hand up, it's got a little red hat on it. <laughs> Looks like a Mario like, cap. I, that's exactly what I was thinking. It's me, Mario. It's actually a crazy prices bag, but anyway. Um, so what was I going with that? Yeah, and I went to a fruit shop the other day, and um, they had lettuce for like a dollar fifty a head. What? And I rang my mother-in-law and said, didn't you say that lettuce was like $9 a kilo? I said, oh, yeah, I went to Woolies and Coles and it was like $9 a head. And I'm like, well, it's like $1.50 here. She goes, oh, give me five. I'm like. I'll sell them to my friends at $4 each and make profit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I buy a box of these and Stick drive it on the eBay. <laughs> you know, cheap lettuce for sale. Like, it's just ridiculous. Just go, just go in the uh, local Shell service station yeah. car park. Hey, mate, mate, mate. If you want to buy yeah. some lettuce, it's only four dollars each. Dude, Don't lie, this guy's got lettuce. Oh my god! <laughs> Wait, I thought I, I thought that was a code <laughs> word for weed. You mean actual? Le- oh, yeah, I'll still buy it. Yeah, yeah, I still need some of that. Yeah, it's still cheaper. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. Like, seriously, like. The sooner these big corporations go away, the better for small business. We we need a we need a change, yep. especially with the economy tanking. Big businesses, they they can look after themselves. They're fine. Don't worry about them. Go yep. support your small businesses because once they're gone, you know, who do you think's around to keep the big businesses in check? If the small businesses disappear, they've got free reign. Guess what's going to happen to all the prices? You think they're expensive now? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nothing yet. You read that about so many American. Um small towns some big company will come in and drop all their prices to like half the price that mom and pop stores can sell it for because they can take a loss on that store when the other 500 stores are making profit then the mom and pop store shuts down because they can't afford to compete and then they jack the prices back up again and off they go yep it happens a lot and and everyone complains when it happens yet those same people are complaining when it happens. The same people are allowing it to happen. Yeah. And just talk about it. Actually, do it. How could this happen in my town? Yeah. Or did you buy it from them? No, I got that new one. It was half price, man. It's fantastic. Yeah. And you remember that Simpsons episode where Flanders opened up the left Yeah. And Homer had four hundred chances to tell people about it and never did. And it wasn't until the day he was going to shut the doors. Yeah. Where he told all those people about it and suddenly had a successful store but that's literally the case like yes you can go to a shopping center where there's coles and you know big w or it'll be Woolworths and big w and coles and whoever but anyway you know there's there's the big chains in there but what you've got to remember is they're not paying rent they're in their free freehold because they're the draw card for the customers to come into that premises. Yeah. All the small businesses that are operating inside that, I'm not talking about the McDonald's cafes and the KFCs and the Telstra shops. I'm talking about the small independent businesses that are in there. Tony's they're the ones that shop. are paying. Yeah. They're the ones that are paying the ridiculous amounts of money to have a store there. You know, so you can still go to a shopping center and support small independent business. You know, and you got to remember a lot of the stores like Mr. Toys, for example, whilst Mr. Toys is a known um, naming, like, franchise name, they're not franchises, they're independent stores. So they just happen to be sharing a name, which gives them better buying power. 
It's a reputation. So, yeah, exactly. You know, so by all means, go to your shopping center, hang out at your Starbucks, because once again, not Starbucks, your coffee club, because they're still independent stores. They're a franchise name, but they're run by, you know, mum and dad operations. You know, go and hang out there. That's fine. And then go shopping. But instead of going to Big W to buy shoes for the kids and clothes for the kids, go to, you know, Best and Less and, and Lowe's and, you know, all those sort of places that whilst they are bigger than a normal mum and dad shop, they're still not huge franchises. They still are relatively independently owned and operated and, and you know, and I'm, look, there are certain places I just won't go to, to buy stuff. Like there's a, in town, I hate to say it, but there's a, there's a shoe shop in town. And I just will not go there to buy shoes for myself or for Bub because we bought, we bought shoes for him last year. We bought two pair of shoes from there for $45 each, yep. something like that. I thought I'd do the right thing and support him. They literally, the both the pair wore out before the end of first term jeez we went to best and best and less or target or something and bought like a four dollar pair of shoes and got the rest of the year out of them yeah so there are certain times when you get burned and okay fine i know i now know that i won't go back there that's that's fine but i tried yeah <laughs> you know so yeah exactly and if there was another shoe shop in town i'd go there but there isn't um uh, there's, there's nothing else in town. It's being a small town. I don't have, you know, 300 options on what I do. But, um, and I'm guilty of it. Like I'll order stuff on Amazon or, or eBay or something rather than going to a store. Um, a lot of that's time related. Yep. And some of the particular things I want aren't available from smaller stores online. Um, you know, but there's a lot of times where I I will definitely go to a smaller store before I go and buy something online. You know, I try to use an online purchase as a large last option, yep. uh, rather than, than than a first option. It's not always possible, but that's what I try to do. So anyway, enough of that. <laughs> and try not to buy from that HN mega store. He's he's got enough money. Yeah, well, you've got to be careful now, too, because a lot of the stuff on Kogan, um, I see Dick Smith, I see Harvey Norman, I see Bing Lee as distributors on Kogan. Yep. So a lot of the stuff on Kogan comes from them. Oh, all right. I don't mind Bing Lee. Every time I buy something from them, I tell them, I prefer to get it from you than the other guy. Well, (laughs) Bing Lee reminds me of what Harvey Norman was 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. When you had basically, you, you pretty much had like Harvey Norman and Tandy effectively competing. Yeah. You know, and then Harvey Norman sort of became more like a David Jones-esque sort of franchise where a bit of everything, you know, and just sort of got bigger and bigger. But out into furniture and everything else. Yeah. Like that's what happened with David Jones too. They sort of went from just being a boutique sort of clothing and perfumes and stuff and they be ended up being everything yeah and um see that's one thing that like radio shack and and tandy like and even the original dick smith before it became like jaker 
the original like candy style digs me. They were great. I used to spend hours walking around in those places. Yep. When I was a teenager, I got to know my local Dick Smith franchise guy and used to hang out there and chat to him about computers and VZ computers and stuff. Mm. Brad, One of the guys Brad's was, Electronics, it was called. <laughs> One of the guys I used to work with in Melbourne, he, I don't know if it was uncle or his cousin what someone in his family owns one of the old school tendies when they're still a component you know they they predominantly supplied components rather than garbage um and they got word that they were tandy was basically folding and they were done and they'd had enough and they were supposed to have massive clearance sales and get rid of everything at whatever prices they could and stuff he basically just shut the doors and put put everything into a into a couple of containers. Ah. Um, so he used to have like because he used to do monitor repairs and printer repairs and stuff like that. Um, so he never like he'd been doing it for like ten years and never had to buy components. <laughs> he just had these containers all catalogued because it all come from a functioning store, so he knew exactly what he had. Yeah, and it was all on the all on the, the stock system and stuff so he could just go and look something up see if he had it and he just go and get it out of the container <laughs> nice so that was, was got awesome any trs 80s hanging out in the corner i wouldn't mind one probably it wouldn't surprise me he had one of the um um oh, what were they i can't think what what brand they were a coco but i wouldn't mind one because it's got the same graphics chip as the vz they were <sighs> There might have been. I don't know if it was a TRS. There might have been because he actually. Pro- no, I think it was an Amstrad. They had. It's all the pretty coloured keyboard. Yeah, the pretty coloured keyboard one. Yeah, and so it was the Amstrad they had. I know they they had a the actual. The funny thing was the actual um, point of sale system was on a. Um, I'm sure it. I don't. It's been that long. I can't remember, but for some reason in my head. Uh, I I can see Dick Smith, um, across the top of it as a as a branding label. All right. <laughs> um, but to in my mind it looks like a TRS eighty. Yeah. Um, but it, I I don't think it was, but it had that same well, sort of Dick look Smith about it. Had the uh, TRS eighty clone the system eighty. Well, that's what it might have been then. Yeah. Because yeah, I, I just thought it was funny that Tandy had a Dick Smith computer. Yeah. <laughs> When they like did their own, but no, we was using Dick Smith, Dick Smith one, which I guess was the same thing. But yeah. we make them, and Dick Smith clones them, and then we buy them from Dick Smith to put on our POS. Everybody's winner. Well, it was a amber monochrome instead of a green monochrome. Ah, oh, nice. It was the fancy one. <laughs> there's a good, there's a good story. I got an interview with um, this guy Greg Dubois, who made a lot of games for the vz computers and he he's got a story that i put on my blue bilby website i did an interview with him finally caught up with him through facebook via his son's facebook account and asked him all these questions and he's like oh yeah i got a i went down to the shop and bought a tendy trs80 and um i can't remember what it was something like six hundred dollars or something and uh, took it home and his wife nearly killed him 
She's like, what are you going to do with this computer? He's like, oh, you know, I'll just muck around with it. And he made some uh, TRS-80 games and sold them. And then he's like, to be able to make the, more efficiently make the games, I'll have to buy extra RAM expansion and floppy disk drives, add-ons. <laughs> and I just spent another five or $600 on top of that. And the wife was really nearly ready to strangle me. But once he started, he just uh, disassembled the memory himself worked out where what goes and how things work and then made really games in assembly yeah and then um a friend of his he went to visit a friend of his who also did the same thing only his friend wrote games in basic and then used a trs80 basic compiler to turn into mostly assembly so it was yeah. slower than normal assembly but it was faster than basic sort of in the middle and he was selling games through um, Dick Smith stores. And um, then his friend is he's like, oh, have you got anything new going on? And his friend goes, oh, yeah, I got this um, this Laser 210 that uh, Dick Smith have just sent me. They're thinking of importing it into Australia. They haven't started yet. I can't write for it because there's no basic compiler. So do you want to have a look at it? And he's like, oh, yeah. So he took home the... Laser 210, which was later be rebranded as VZ200, disassembled that, worked out that because it was Z80 and the VZ was basically a TRS-80 clone slightly changed with a different graphics chip. And he started making games in assembly. And then he goes down, he talks to the guy who he had a contact with at Dick Smith Electronics and they're like, oh no, we got people making games. We don't need anything more. We're not interested. And uh, so he told his wife... And uh, she's like, well, you know what we're going to do? We're going to phone all of the Dick Smith stores in Sydney until one of them will talk to you about this because these <laughs> games I reckon people will buy because all the games were cheap, basic games and were really crap. We didn't have um, Pac-Man or Space Invaders or Frogger or anything like that. He made those for TRS-80 and he converted them to run on the VZ with the four colours and everything, whereas the TRS-80 was all black and white monochrome. And uh, he, he, they phoned all around him and eventually word got to Dick Smith. And he said, I want to meet this guy. So he calls him in. They're like, uh, Dick Smith would like to meet you uh, this afternoon. Can you make it? And he's like, F, yes. So he and his <laughs> wife go down there and they show a demonstration of these games. And the guy who rejected him and said, no, we got enough stuff, was in the meeting. But he was like, you've gone around me straight to Dick Smith. And he's like, too right, I did, but I didn't tell him that. And yeah. so Dick Smith saw it, and he was like, oh, this is fantastic. We're going to sell these. Here's the price. We'll sell them at twenty or nineteen ninety nine, and then you get X percentage of that, and we want to order 200,000 cassettes with these games on right now. So then they ended up employing this kid who was – making some money to go through university or something. So he'd come over and do high-speed copying of all the cassettes and then zip them up into bags and take them to Dick Smith, who'd sell them and give them some money from that. And it's a really, really interesting story about how he, he connected, made his own network, wired up his own network, made network cards for the VZ, which never ever had them. So he could connect three VZs to a TRS-80 
We checked it as the host computer and he'd write the programs and compile it on the TRS-80, spit them down the cables to the VZ so he could test it on a real computer. If it crashed, it didn't matter because the TRS-80 had all the code and he could just change a few things, spit it down the cable again and boot up the computer and run it again. And yeah, he was doing it like that. But really, really interesting story if you're interested in that kind of thing. Another one that comes to mind about that back when, you know, in... 84 or no, like early 80s um Stephen Fry got I can't remember exactly I think he said it was a I can't remember what he, I think he said it was an apple but I'm not 100% sure he got one of the first you know PCs and it was him and um Douglas Adams yes Douglas Adams well um, known for loving apple yeah, and they basically were the first people in their town because they, they lived next to each other pretty much when they were going, when they were young, nice. and they they basically were the first people in in well in England to have these new computers. Yeah, and that's all they were. They got a computer and they're like, okay, well, and of course Douglas Adams, you know, doing his scripts and stuff, and they had the old fact old fashioned tractor feed printers, and they got took forever to print like his novels and stuff. They're like, fine, <laughs> so they went and splashed out on. The laser <laughs> printed the first. I would have. I'm, I don't know exactly what it would have been, but I'm pretty sure Apple had a, a Apple little laser writer. Very yeah, very early on. It was something stupid. It was like five thousand dollars or something when they <laughs> when they got it. You know, or it might have been a HP laser jet laser jet one or whatever. But anyway, so here they are printing off these publisher worthy looking documents. You know, taking to publishers and and taking to meetings and all this sort of stuff with these professional documents that must have cost them a fortune to have printed off. You know, <laughs> and um, so soon, like, I still really can't justify having this. You know, three thousand dollar or five thousand dollar PC and five thousand dollar laser printer sitting here, um, not really doing much. So he decided to, when wherever he was working at the time, I can't remember. What, his autobiography it's been a while since i've listened to it but wherever he was working at the time um he said that i'll i'll start doing all your your printing for you like all your documents and your type setting and everything and i'll i'll get all that so he started charging his friends and colleagues and his work and <laughs> like all these people in town who wanted stuff typeset and stuff he started doing them on the weekends and started charging started charging people to pay to <laughs> all these documents and he was paying for all the equipment and then he finally upgraded to, a, and he got a um, a fax machine. Yeah. And the only other person he knows who had a fax machine was Douglas. <laughs> <laughs> they live like two blocks away from each other, each other. But faxing each other backwards and forwards because they're the only ones I know who have a fax machine. Uh, and then he went to, I want to say it was Steven Spielberg, but I could be wrong. But he went to somebody else's re- holiday retreat, and it was in like France or or whatever. And um, they were doing a. Um, you know, one of those how to host a murder, who done it sort of things. Yep. And one of the like, I can't remember who was hosting this party. It's escaped me completely. But whoever the host was had rung. It just found out that Stephen Fry had a fax machine, yep. and it actually rung him like a week earlier and said, "Hey, I'm going to send you, I'm going to fax you a document that's got a whole list of clues and and stuff on it." And he said. You know, at you know, ten forty-seven my time. Can you fax it to this to this number? 
And so, like, Stephen Fry is sitting there waiting and waiting, and the time comes around, and he sends it, and it doesn't go through. Uh. <laughs> so he tries again, he sends it again. <laughs> and about three attempts later, it finally goes, and the other people in, at the other house heard this ringing, and they're like, what is that? And then there's this thing just started spitting out paper at them, and they're like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? And they realised it had like clues and stuff on it, but yeah, he's, <laughs> but that's the first like international, you know, international how to host a murder that he's ever involved. That's cool. <laughs> so his autobiographies are hilarious because he's like, um, um, oh, I'm having a complete blank. I'm hopeless with names. Uh, his Hugh Laurie yep. was when he was going to university and all that, he basically went to uni with Hugh Laurie. And he's like, oh, I could come up with pseudonyms or stupid names, you know, like, um, you know, like, um, you know, like, 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 what did, what did he say? Um, so something like a oh, huge, huge Murray was my roommate. And he's like, but it wouldn't take you long to figure out who I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was if you actually he's, he's got four or five autobiographies now and they're actually they especially if you get them on audible because he's actually reading them yep and it really just you can just put yourself in that situation is like yep that's that's something so something you would do but there's got a lot of old old tech and there's this interesting behind the scenes about some of the old tech they used to use and yep. and all sorts of stuff you got a story left to go? Yep, if I just don't close the wrong tab. Who does this? <laughs> so, got a couple. Um, a quick one. If you have Windows 8.1, just remember that it is running in a support in January. That's end of end of life for it. Um, however, you're probably not going to forget because Microsoft has initiated the... Uh, friendly reminders that they tend to put on things to let you know that you know Nag you haven't <laughs> yes so they've implemented nag screens on 8.1 now basically coming up i think it's currently every uh two hours or something and then klaxon goes off warning warning end of life warning um or every reboot that does it and i think it's every two or three hours of, of use it pops up as well please install linux uh, now yeah install <laughs> pop over now now there's a virus somebody should get on yeah. um so <clears throat> they're obviously saying you know click here to upgrade to 11 or you know, whatever but they, they reckon that um uh, when they introduced it in Windows 7, it wasn't getting the point across because, like, in the last six months of Windows 7 um, EOL, they lost, you know, there was only, like, a 5% dip in users or something. And to this day, like, it hasn't dropped off much. People who are using 7 are still using 7. Yeah. Um, I know all my little knucks and stuff that I haven't converted across to Pop OS, they're still running 7. Um. The weird thing, though, that they're doing with 8.1 that they haven't... They did with 7. They offered um, extended security updates. So if there's a major floor, major security hole, and even Windows um, 
98 and all that, even for several years. NXP, even for several years after L, they offered major updates. But with 8.1, they're not. They're like, as of January, that's it. They're done. They're not offering any updates at all. Um, Windows 10 will only be supported until middle of 2025. It seems short for that um, one. Yeah, well, they're basically pushing it. Well, they're now forcing install of Windows 11. I've been watching, reading a few articles where they're like, um, they don't Windows give you an option. They just do it as a regular update, and then when you reboot, you've got Windows 11. So that's rude. Yeah. Uh, they're also holding your PC hostage because they're saying that, um, you know, they're basically saying that you can't, touch it you can't change like they're actually enforcing the you can't change anything rule right uh even as some you know even adding hardware like adding a hard drive yep. apparently will lock it yeah oh, how to stop so, people from using your operating system microsoft yeah so um if you have a um well if you have a pc and you're not running linux at this point why not it's your own fault um, look, it, it's not. It's so simple to do. You can literally download a image step by step on on Pop OS or any Linux distribution at all. They have step by step instructions on how to do it. You can download what's called a live disk, which is literally just that burns oh, a copy USB. to a thumb drive, and then you put the thumb drive in and you get to play with it for as long as you want and don't affect anything at all. And if you like it, then you've got the option to install it. The other thing you can do and the thing I actually recommend you do is you buy, you spend $40, you buy a new hard drive because that's all hard drives are now. <laughs> um, preferably SSD or M2 if you have the option for it. Um, and put that new hard drive in and install onto the new hard drive. Um, and basically that way you don't touch anything at all on the other one. And because Linux can understand the NTFS file mm. system, you can still access all of your files off the old one. You can still access everything on there. And if you do eventually decide you don't like it, you can go back and put the old drive in. You haven't affected anything. Yeah. Um, or you probably won't, and you'll end up just deleting the stuff that I you don't keep. I still have dual boot. I just don't ever use the Windows one at all for anything now. No. I, I don't even. I got rid of dual boot because I've only got a smaller C drive M2 in there, so I got rid of dual boot to, to free up room. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah so... That is, and I'm sure there's there's plenty of computer stores out there. Okay, there's there's probably a few computer stores <laughs> out there that are happy to install Linux for you. Um, I don't know if they all are. Um, there's some that are relatively incompetent, but the ones that are competent shouldn't have any problems doing. Yep. Um. So yeah. Uh, did you have any more or? No, we've gone over an um, hour already. <laughs> No, so just quickly, people love their Linux stories. So just another one quickly. Linus Travalis is cautionally optimistic about bringing Rust into the Linux kernel next release. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to like submerge it in the water and you're going to have a bad time. You can if you want to. I'll let, I'll let Jace explain what Rust is in a sec. But basically, um, Linux creator said it won't make any promises. He'd like to see Rust merging into Linux kernel within the next release. Over three decades, Linux has been written on the C programming language um, Linux and C is most outstanding accomplishment, but the last few years have been growing momentum to make Rust programming language Linux's second Linux language. And the recent open source summit in Austin, Texas, Linux created 
creator Linus said he could see Russ making it into the Linux kernel as soon as next major release. Uh, after the conference, I spoke with him. I'd like to see Rust infrastructure merging to be started in the next release would be Linux 5.2. Um, the next minor release they're working on is 5.19. So there is time between new mainline kernel releases is 9 to 10 weeks, which means we'll probably see 5.19 in early August. And if all goes well, see Rust in 5.2 late October, early November. Uh, but Linus said he won't force it, and it's not like we're going to be doing anything really meaningful at that point. It'd basically be the starting point. Um, so you may ask, why are they adding Rust at all? Rust owns itself more easily. They're writing secure software. Samantha Chandrasekhar. Shad, shad, Samantha said, <laughs> an AWS product manager said it helps ensure thread safety and prevent memory related errors such as buffer overflows that can lead to security vulnerabilities. Um, Linus also agrees that Rust is more memory safe. There's many technical reasons for this. It's good to get them the kernel. But they're not going to be writing the entire 30 million or so lines of code. No, it'll take no. a little while. Um, they're basically not proposing a rewrite of Linux, but they're basically moving it to where all new code will be written on Linux and it will still be able to be maintained as backwards compatible. Yeah. So. It just basically means the same thing you said. Instead of programming C, you're programming Rust, which is a newer language, uh, lower level language with direct access to hardware memory, it makes it a greater. Great solution for embedded and bare metal development. You can use Rust to write operating systems or microcontroller programs, and it's got built-in um, memory safety. All references point to valid memory without requiring the use of a garbage collector or reference counting present in other memory-safe languages. So efficient, safe, and less likely to uh, have vulnerabilities. Yeah, and if I'm understanding correctly, a low-level programming language basically means that once you start developing a program, you can develop it for any uh, any CPU chipset or any hardware chipset rather than... Yeah, you're, you know, you're writing doesn't... stuff that accesses directly the chipsets and stuff like that, whereas C++ is a very high-level language, simple to write in, or simple-ish to write in for complex things like... Um, windowed applications like Firefox and things like this will all be written in C++. But this is low level that when you first turn on the computer, the operating system booting up, that thing is accessing directly the hardware and memory and managing it before any of the other stuff can load in. So you need something that's low level, like assembly is the lowest, lowest level. <laughs> Binary yeah, and assembly. And then Rust would be slightly higher than that and C and C++ is very high level. So it basically means that instead of having, for example, Android and then Linux, you know, Android running on that phone and iOS running on that phone and, and you know, um, something running on a PC and something else running, you could effectively make one program that runs on four different hardware configurations. That can be possible, yeah. Effectively. Yeah, well, you you'd obviously have to tweak it for each hardware, but that means that instead of having to write physically four entirely different programs, mm. you write the same program just to work on four batches of hardware. Yeah, they kind of tried to um, aim for that kind of thing with Java, and then it didn't always <laughs> go exactly right for that. <laughs> 
just ask anybody who's tried to play Minecraft and a different version of Minecraft with a different version of Minecraft. Yeah. And just, <laughs> <laughs> you know how long it took me to install Java 8 today? Man? Uh, I did it on Linux. On this computer, I did it in like three minutes last night. Yeah. When I was, or the day before, whenever it was last night. Yeah. And I worked today. It took me three hours to wow. get Java 8 working. That's crazy. It just, just did not want to know about life. It, it was just done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening to the Aussie Tech Heads show. We can be found at Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Email us, Will or Warlock, at aussietechheads.com.au, and we'll see you next time. Bye. See you, mate. Bye.